Well, let me ask you a question. What comes to your mind when you think of a missionary? What is it that comes to your mind? For some of us, it, it may be um, these people who go to this far remote place where the people might eat you and it's really scary in some foreign jungle. For some of you, it's that one thing when maybe you sense God calling you to come to faith in him that you said, God, I'll follow you. Just don't send me there, wherever there is. There's a lot of different things that come to our minds when we think about missionaries. And as I interact with different people, one of the things I find is that sometimes we can put missionaries on a pedestal. And in some ways, rightfully so, right? I mean, what they're doing is amazing. They're making amazing sacrifices to see people come to faith. And we should applaud them for that. But when you look into the dictionary at what is a missionary, this is one of the definitions. A person who is sent on a mission. Pretty obvious, right? Thank you, Captain Obvious, for that one. A person who is sent on a mission is a missionary. So on the one hand, there is something distinct about a missionary, crossing culture, doing what some of the people that you support do. But at the same time, anybody who has chosen to follow Jesus with their life is a person sent on a mission. It may look different for you, but we are part of the same mission that those people that we support are a part of. We are people who are called to go make disciples, to be witnesses, whether it's here, across the street, or around the world. You can't do everything, but you can do something. And so oftentimes we can you know, celebrate and applaud missionaries and, and give money towards missionaries and that sort of thing, and yet personally opt out of being part of the mission. And this morning, that's why I want to talk to you about it, is living a better story. What does it look like to have your life tell a better story, to be somebody who is not just a contributor to missions, but is living a life that's on mission? And so often I think we settle for smaller stories or we settle for applauding those who are living maybe the story that we wish we could but we're too scared to jump into. And so that's what I'd like to have us look at this morning. If you have your Bibles or a Bible app, you can turn to John 1, uh, John 1, 1. And while you're turning there, uh, just want to ask you a question. How many of you have ever been captivated by a story? Many of us like reading a, maybe a best-selling novel or there's certain movies that really captivate our attention. We sit around the dinner table or the campfire and tell stories. Maybe you binge watch some TV show on Netflix over the weekend. I think that's evidence that you were captivated by a story, right? You're like spend eight hours on Saturday doing that. But stories are very much a part of our lives. Oftentimes we evaluate how good a message is based on how funny were the stories, right? We'll see how we do afterwards. Um, But stories are very much a part of our lives. Our news is driven by stories. Even the products that we sell, they're often not selling you a product, right? They're selling you a story. I know this firsthand from my time in youth ministry. Steve Warner can maybe attest to this. There was this huge fascination among middle school boys with Axe body spray. Now, I know middle school boys are not that interested in hygiene. And you know the reason why I know this? Because somehow in their minds, they substituted a shower with Axe body spray. But there is this narrative that Axe body spray told that middle school boys latched onto that they were all about it. And when we would do summer camp, we're like, dude, you got to take a shower. I mean, that Axe body spray is not helping out. 
But even our products that we sell, we, we sell a story. It's not just the, the thing itself. We're selling, uh, you're going to be this type of a person. G.K. Chesterton wrote this, I had always felt life first as a story, and if there's a story, there's a storyteller. What kind of a story is God telling through human history? John 1.1 says this, in the beginning, let's stop right there. You're like, man, we're going to be here all day if you're going at that pace. <laughs> in the beginning, this is interesting for two reasons. John the Gospel of John is believed to have been written after the other three Gospels. The other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the Synoptic Gospels because they're similar. John is a little bit different. Not that the story is different, but he focuses on different things. And the reason why that's significant is because he writes this Gospel last and provides an angle of the story that's a little bit different. And one of the things that's fascinating about the beginning of this book is on the one hand, it's like how all good stories start, right? Once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away in the beginning. So it kind of has that thing going for it. But it points us back to what? In the beginning is an excerpt from Genesis 1.1. He's rooting this story that he's telling about who Jesus is in the beginning of creation. And this is important for a couple of reasons because there's three philosophical questions that we all tend to ask and that there are a variety of different narratives for answering. And the first one is, where did I come from? Like, how did we all get here? And one narrative is, you're actually a cosmic mistake. Sorry to tell you, but you're, there really, it really is no purpose in life. You're just kind of here by accident and make the most of it. Another narrative would be, uh, you can find on the back of a bumper sticker. It says, he who dies with the most toys wins. What's that narrative? Hey, life is all about just accumulating stuff. If you accumulate more than the other person, then you've, you've had a successful life. But John is opening his gospel and rooting it in one of the fundamental questions, which is, where did I come from? How did all this start? And he points back to Jesus as being in the beginning. And this is what he says. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And as you keep reading on through John 1, I'm not going to read that whole section. I encourage you to do so later today. But he talks about how Jesus was in the beginning. That everything that we see now was made in and through him. And that he came into the world on a rescue mission to reconcile humanity to himself. It says that he came as the light to the world, and even though we, humanity, we didn't even recognize him or who he was, to the point that as you read through the Gospels, humanity kills Jesus. Even his own disciples deny Jesus. And yet he came into this world as one sent on mission because we serve a missionary God, sent on mission in a rescue operation to reconcile humanity to himself. That this is the beginning. This is the, what makes sense of this story that God's telling throughout human history. And what's fascinating about this is we recognize that God is authoring, he is the author of a redemption story. It is a compelling story narrative 
And I don't mean narrative in the fictitious sort of sense because it's, it's actually happening. It's a drama unfolding on the course of human history. But it's compelling the sacrifice which God is taking so that we might be reconciled to himself. God is authoring a redemption story. Jesus comes on a mission. He's sent on a mission. There's a guy by the name of Donald Miller. Maybe some of you have heard of him. He's, a, he's an author. And he wrote this book called Blue Like Jazz. And it's a memoir about his life. And he tells a story about how some directors came to him and they wanted to put his uh, book into a movie. And he talked about how painful it was sitting down with the directors and then basically saying, all right, how can we make your life more interesting? (laughs) How can we make this something that people actually want to watch on the big screen? And it was interesting for him because he began recognizing that what makes a good story, what makes a good movie is essentially this, a character who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. That's what makes a good story. And so as, after he got over the initial kind of like, man, this is kind of weird, you know, how can we make my life more interesting or me more fascinating? After they kind of got through that and started putting this together, he said, hey, do you think this movie could win like an Oscar or something? I mean, is it... Is it, is it that compelling? Have we made it interesting enough? And they're like, yeah, you're not gonna win any Oscars with your life, sorry. It's not interesting enough. And he said, well, why is that? And he said, well, the, the movies that win awards have a couple of elements to them. The first one is this. The character that wants something, it must be something that's very difficult to attain. Like they have to overcome insurmountable odds to attain it. And the second one is this that what the character wants, it has to be something that's sacrificial. It can't be self-serving. And he says, that's why you don't see very many movies about a guy whose greatest aspiration in life is to buy a new Volvo. Because nobody wants to watch that. It's not that interesting. So the guy with that bumper sticker, it's like, yeah, you can live your life doing that, but guess what? You're not living a very compelling story. You're settling for something that's pretty small. And so when we think about this and we think about what God is doing, if you read through uh, John 1, God is authoring this redemptive story where he's overcoming insurmountable odds, reconciling humanity without violating their free will so that they might experience life as a people who have rebelled against God. And the sacrifice that Christ makes so that that is made possible is compelling. It is a redemption story. And when you start letting the gospel speak to your life, man, it busts things open in your heart that is compelling. It's why we have missionaries who have been sent out because they've been so compelled by what God is doing and has done in their own life that they are like, we gotta share this with the people who don't know. It's a redemption story. So let's fast forward, that's John 1, let's fast forward to John 21, this is the end of the book. In between, there's a lot of things that happen, again I would encourage, we don't have time to read through all of it this morning, but one of the things you find is that Jesus invites people to participate in this redemption story. He calls the disciples, and what does he say to the disciples? The disciples are like off fishing, and he says, hey, I know you're planning on spending the rest of your life fishing, and that's kind of this story, that's one way this story can go in your life, but I'm, I'm wanting to invite you to be fishers of people, be fishers of men. And so he invite, invites them to participate in this redemption story. And so that happens, and yet 
they kind of fall away and scatter when Jesus dies. And we're going to pick up here in John 21 where the disciples go back to fishing off on the Sea of Galilee. And once again, they can't catch anything. And this guy comes walking by. It's the resurrected Jesus. They don't know that yet. And he says, throw your nets on the other side, which is how he first met some of these guys, right? And they get this great catch of fish and they recognize it's Jesus and they jump to the shore. And this is what it says here. John 21, 15. When they had finished eating, the disciples, eating with Jesus, um, Jesus said to Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus says, follow me. You see, what's fascinating about this is that Peter thinks this whole following Jesus thing like fell apart. That when Jesus died, it's over. The story ended. It was a tragic ending and he goes back to fishing. Goes back to his life before. And yet Jesus comes and he kind of does this whole three thing, kind of reinstating Peter for the three times they denied him. And he tells him to follow him. He's inviting him back in to participate in this redemption story to not settle for living this smaller story, but participate in this redemption story. And Peter starts getting concerned about, well, what about him and what about this person? And he says, what's that to you? You need to follow me. You see, I think the other thing is God's not only authoring a redemption story, but he's inviting us to step on the stage and play a role in that redemption story. And here's what I mean by that is that even though I'm the missions guy, I guess, on Mission Sunday and I'm passionate about missions and we want to see missionaries supported, what I would tell you is that that's, that's not the end goal. I don't want you to just support missions. I want you to be a people who are on mission. And I think people who are on mission support missions, but it's not like here's some money so that those people can go do the missions and we're gonna kind of sit on the sideline. No, God is inviting you to participate in the story of redemption that he's telling. And that's gonna look different for different, Peter, different people and for Peter as well. Getting ahead of myself there. So just like Peter, it looks different when Peter's trying to compare his life to somebody else's life. It's like it's gonna look different. For some of you, it may not mean going around the world it may mean something different for you here locally or for you among your family or your coworkers. For some of you, maybe it does. Maybe a long time ago, you sensed that God was calling you to go somewhere and you kind of have shelved that and you're living a smaller story or you've settled for a smaller story and he's inviting you back into something bigger that he's doing. 
I don't know what it's going to look like for each of your lives, but I don't want you to be content with just contributing towards missions and not living a life on mission. Because we've all been called to participate in the mission. Now listen, you're always going to have people that you have to uh, support to, to see the mission fulfilled around the world, right? And the reason is, is because there's places that global partners and other organizations have missionaries that Dave can't take a short-term trip to. You can show up and try to do a VBS and you might get killed. In fact, we have uh, one, one missionary family, and I encourage you, don't take pictures of this because they're in a high secure field in Turkic Arabic country. But here's a guy, a missionary that has been in this uh, Muslim country for uh, over a decade, he and his family. They've recently had a bunch of missionaries who were kicked out of the country, blacklisted, can't come back. And what he's doing here is he's meeting with this 76-year-old man, Muslim man, devout in his faith. And this Muslim man is reading the Gospels in his language for the very first time. Now for some of us, that's unfathomable. But for this guy, this is the first time, and you know what they're reading? They're reading John 3 about Nicodemus, who is a teacher in the Jewish community, and that's kind of the role that this guy is among his Muslim community. And so this guy is encountering Christ for the very first time, and that can't happen on a short-term mission trip. And so there will always be a need to support missionaries to see every person have the opportunity to come to faith in Christ. And for some of you, maybe God is calling you to do that. But for others of you, yeah, you're going to support people like this, but it's not an opt-out to not be a part of the mission. Do you see what I'm saying? We've all been invited to step on the stage of what God's doing throughout the course of human history, and it's going to look different for different people. But he calls all of us, go make it disciples of all nations. He calls all of us to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So whether that's across the street or around the world, I don't know what your particular role is in all of that, but God is calling us to live a better story. And this morning, I want you to not just settle for the yay, yay, rah, rah, let's give to missions, which we should. I am the missions guy. We should do that. But opt out of living life on mission to actively participating in what God's doing and the redemptive story that God's telling through the course of human history. I'll close with this story. There's an author by the name of Bob Goff. Maybe some of you are familiar with him, but Bob tells this, uh, this story about his own kids where his kids were complaining about how boring uh, New Year's Day was. Like there's nothing to do, it's so boring and all this kind of stuff. So he said, well, figure out something to do. Figure out something compelling and inspiring to do. So they decided that they were gonna throw a parade for their neighborhood. And they lived in a pretty big neighborhood and they were gonna invite all these people to, to uh, per participate in this parade. And Bob said there was one rule about this parade. And the one rule was this. There were no spectators in the parade. So you couldn't come and just watch the parade. You either had to stay in your house or you had to be part of the parade, which is kind of contrary to what parades are, right? I mean, the majority of people are like watching what the floats and the musicians or the bands, whatever. And so they did this and it had wild success in their neighborhoods to the point where people who left the neighborhood will come back 
and participate in this parade annually. And it's this huge parade where people are marching down the streets with floats and balloons and all kinds of fun stuff. And there's nobody watching. It's just a parade of people who are all participating. And I think this is a great metaphor or picture for the kind of mission that God invites us into. He doesn't invite us to just come be spectators and cheer on those people who are doing missionary work. Whether it's over there or people you see up on stage here where you go, okay, leave that to the professionals to do. No, he's inviting everyone to participate in the mission. And my prayer for you as a church is that you wouldn't only give to missions, but that you would be a people who are on mission. That you'd be participating in the parade of God's mission to bring redemption throughout this world. And that's going to look different and different for different people. But we are called to be a, a group of people who are on mission and to not settle for a lesser story, but to participate in God's redemptive story. But let me close by praying for you. And then I believe Dave's going to wrap up here. God, we thank you for coming after us. Jesus, we thank you for stepping into our world, laying down your life so we might experience new life. And God, this morning, I don't know where each person is at specifically in their life. I don't know what you've called them to. I don't know if they're settling for a smaller story maybe a story of accumulation of things or safety and security or comfort. But God, I pray that you would speak very tangibly and specifically to each person right now of what it means to be a part of your mission. What it means to step on stage and play their part in your redemptive purposes around the world. And God, for some people, maybe that is going. Maybe you've placed a people group or a country. And Lord, today I pray that you'd help them to step out in faith. Lord, for others, it just means that they need to get in the game here locally. They've been kind of sitting on the sidelines. God, whatever it is, I just pray that you'd bring, make that very clear for each person here. What does it look like to participate in your redemption story? Lord, help us to not just give to missions, but to be a people who are on mission. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.